Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and today is one of our spotlight episodes where we get to focus on a specific culture. And today we're going to be focusing on Japanese culture. And this is our second parter. The first part we have already posted. If you haven't listened to that already, please make sure to go back and listen to that. That was with our good friend Kevin. And today we have some special guests with us today. So let's do this. Hey, thank you guys so much for joining in and listening with us today. We have two very special guests, Martin and Ruth Gent. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, John. How are you? Good, good. I'm excited to hear from you guys and about the journey that you guys have been on. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us a little bit about yourself and about the journey that God has led you on into becoming missionaries in Japan. I'm Martin, Martin Gent, and I was born in Mount Forest, which is a farming community about two hours northwest of Toronto. And after going to Bible school, well, I met my wife there, so we got married, moved to Toronto because we felt that God had called us to Japan to be missionaries, and that's where we've been for the last 32 years now. Mm, three decades. Wow. Yes. Okay, my name's Ruth, and I grew up in New England in the mountains, and I went to Bible school a bit on a fluke. I heard an address, randomly wrote away, went there like without really knowing anything about it. And um, yeah, God really used that experience to transform my life. I met my husband there, and together we've been in Japan for these 32 years. Yes, very nice, very nice. You know what? I think one of the things that we're hoping to do with this podcast and these conversations is just really bring to light what the different cultures are and at the same time, be able to learn from them as well. And so thank you guys both for being here today on this episode. And at this point, you know, how would you culturally identify yourself? Would you consider yourself Canadian or American or Japanese or some kind of hybrid of many different cultures? And what does that mean for you guys? I think as time goes on, we don't see ourselves as any one particular nationality or ethnic uh, race. When we're in amongst um, a lot of, say, white people, Caucasians, and we look around thinking, hey, there's no Asians here. <laughs> and um, when we look in the mirror, sometimes it's almost like, hey, I forgot that I was Caucasian because we, we live in, and minister among Asians, feel very comfortable among Asians. And so in some ways, Asia has become our home. Mm-hmm. But in other ways, we come to Canada and uh, we can travel quite easily and fit in quite easily in in, say, rural communities, which are mostly Caucasian, or in Toronto, which is multi-ethnic. So, so I think we're, we probably feel comfortable anywhere we go now. Yeah. And you guys have spent more of a part of your life in Japan than you have in North America at this point, right? Yes. Yes, we have. Uh-huh. I remember being in a church, an Asian church, and at the end they said, we'd like to welcome our visitors today. Everyone turned around and looked at us, and I thought, how did they know that we're the visitors? <laughs> we're the only two Caucasians there. So I guess everyone felt that they knew that we would be the visitors. So it's kind of a surprise because we didn't necessarily see ourselves as any different than anyone else that was there. Sure. I think for me, I think of myself as a journeyer on this earth. And that's been a important part of my identity because I've, I moved around a lot when I was growing up. Sure. And then I went to Canada, lived in Canada eight years, and then I went to Singapore. And then we 
moved to Japan. And uh, I loved, I really love living in Japan. And if I had to say which one I identified most with, it probably is Japan. However, ultimately, uh, how I've kind of reconciled the different struggles that you face in being in different cultures or in a, I'm、uh, not feeling quite at home.、Mm-hmm. I realize that really a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm a heaven citizen and I'm <laughs> in this world and everything isn't always going to be easy just because the world doesn't have the same worldview that I have.、Mm-hmm. I think there's another aspect that we just decide to make it a home wherever we are. Sure. And so if we are in. Northern Ontario, we kind of feel like we are from Northern Ontario almost. Or when we're in Calgary, it's like, oh, wow, this is like our new home and let's explore our new home. And,、sure. and so we have that kind of attitude that wherever we go, let's just make this a, kind of a feeling of home. Right. And so we feel quite comfortable wherever we go. So very adaptable, very easily, you know, going to different places and, and feeling like it's home, right? I think if you truly care about the place that you're, or the people that you're around, then、mm-hmm. it does make you feel at home, even if you're not actually at home. Right. I think it's a choice. I think a lot of times it comes to, to a choice in how you choose to perceive things. Sure. And in Japan, how do they respond to you know, interacting with you and feeling welcomed and, and at home? Like, what is their usual response? I was、uh, working one day at the coffee shop we started in, in Japan, and our Japanese staff、uh, was there. And、uh, a customer came in and he was, seemed confused. And then he, he finally said, Is she Japanese? <laughs> and so I think he was confused by the fact that I am white, but I seemed Japanese to him. I think our mannerisms have been very adapted to where we live. And I think that people feel quite comfortable with us.、Mm-hmm. Great. For people in our area, because we, we have lived and ministered in the Sagaru area, it's called it's a, it's a closed in peninsula.、Uh, mm-hmm. Well, a peninsula that has mountains surrounding a plain, a rice plain, and it's open to the ocean. So people feel like they are like, kind of like a, a separate people group and almost. And whenever people go away, say to Tokyo or some other place, Uh, the first thing that when they do when they come back, and that's what we do now too, we look at our mountain. There's one mountain that kind of overshadows the whole plain, and you look to the mountains like, oh, I'm home. And <laughs> so the feeling that comes up in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, is I look to the hills. Sure.、Uh, yeah. And so the psalmist would look to the hills, but then the verse goes on and says, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the hills. We're not animus, you know, no, we're not worshiping nature. But there is a very real sense of the mountain is、uh, an identifying、uh, thing for what's home. The other thing I think is、um, in the fall, when you see the apple trees starting to, the apples starting to turn color and the rice fields starting to turn color golden hue, and then the, the snow first comes on the mountain. Like, oh, this is like so amazing. This is like my home. And so those are the kind of feelings that people have in our area. Sure. Wow, that's awesome. Now, having been in Japan for three decades, what can you both share about the Japanese culture? What is important to Japanese people? And for many of our listeners, how does it compare and contra- contrast to the Canadian or North American culture? Japan is, for the most part, monocultural. There is a foreign presence and it's increasing, but compared to, say, Toronto or、um, many places in Canada, there isn't the variety of cultures. And so you tend to have、uh, 
a feeling that it is just singular culture. It's interesting because all you hear on the street is Japanese. Right. Uh, if you turn on radios, it's only Japanese. You see street signs, they're only Japanese. Maybe some English thrown in here and there. But then we come to Canada and it's like, wow, there's so many nationalities and cultures represented here in sure. the city. And you hear, go to a store, we're just at Walmart today shopping and hearing maybe about 10 different languages as we walked around the store. Right. And uh, so that, that is still to us kind of surprising because in Japan we don't have that. Sure. And I think there's a sense of not wanting to step outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of wanting to be do the right thing, socially acceptable thing, and to keep harmony. That's a, a very Japanese value. Yeah. And I remember um, Kevin mentioning about harmony as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that they, uh, in their hearts, feel at harmony all the time with other people. But that's what they must put forward is the harmonious getting along with other people, which makes it a very nice place to be as a guest. But uh, sometimes for the people themselves, it can be very uh, stressful or painful to Mm. try and hide their true feelings about something. Sure. I think with foreigners, they're much more free. They're not as afraid of what uh, expressing themselves to a foreigner as they might be to another Japanese person. Okay. Japanese culture is very refined, if you want to use that word. I don't know if it's the right, accurate word. Um, people are very aware of how they come across to other people and how interactions with other people. And so the desire to get along is also the desire to understand someone, to see where they're coming from, to try to read the air, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very polite culture. but And that for some people, they think that's outward only. I don't think that's true. I think it's from the heart where people are polite toward other people, caring about other people. It goes only maybe so far without knowing Jesus, but but it's not that they are so individualistic that they only think of themselves and don't think of other people in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are some of the things. I think gentleness, fighting with another person is not necessarily thought of as a good thing. Right. Uh, like standing up for one's rights and that kind of thing is not thought of as something good. No. There's good and bad in those those things, but sure. there is a good part to it, a, a nice part to it, a, a comfortable part when you're in society, that you know that you're probably not going to be mugged on the streets, your things are not going to be stolen. That's uh, a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a, a sense of appreciation for beauty, mm. um, a sense of art in the way things are done. And as a result of that, too, I think people tend to generally take care of things and uh, treat things with respect. Children in schools are taught to have good greetings towards other people. Sure. Um, So there's definitely an appreciation for um, politeness and care of other people's things. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful nation. Um, yeah, it's kind of like North America all packed into one little nation, <laughs> and so you get the mountains, and you get the rivers, and you get you know the leaves, and, and you get you know the ocean, and you guys get snow. Yeah, we get a lot of snow. Oh yeah, mm. and so like Ruth said, uh, I think there's that appreciation of beauty that is transformed into say yards where people try to create a little mountain environment in their front yard with rocks and trees and sometimes water. And so that uh, appreciation for beauty is something that's really nice in Japanese culture. Mm. 
Along with that, I think the older people maybe were better at making these nice little gardens. And the younger people are just like, oh, I don't want to do all the weeding that's involved or whatever. You <laughs> right. know? So there's a there's a definite uh, shift maybe, but there's still an appreciation of it. I don't think it's that they don't like it, just that maybe they don't want to spend the amount of time that the older people did. Sure. But even so, like um, Cherry Blossom Festival, festivals, celebrating in those ways, those are all things that people really enjoy. Yeah. Yes, festivals, summer festivals are amazing in Japan. Yeah. Almost every town has their own fireworks display, mm. and people get dressed up, and they go and they have this area where there's there's night stalls with food, different sure. types of food that you can buy, and and so people look forward to that that festival time. So there's there's all the really nice things about Japan, and there's loads of nice things about Japan, which make it very easy to go to. But then on the other hand, there's the things like in every culture has their things that are. Uh, there's the pluses and the minuses, sure. and I think that in Japan there's definitely a sense of, you know, maybe all these good things make it so that they don't want to show their weakness or their struggles to other people, and that means that people can end up carrying these burdens on their own mm-hmm. and not being able to adequately seek help for them. Right. It's a culture of pressure to do what the boss wants you to do, and so staying long hours and working long hours, going in on days off, is something that is almost expected in the culture. Sure. Um, because it's not so much, it's my employment as much as I am employed by this group and it's my family. Mm-hmm. And so you want to do what benefits the family. And so there's that pressure. It's a pressure to succeed. And so if if people say fail in tests or fail at businesses, it's very hard to, to admit failure, to admit, say, bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And so suicide tends to be the, the escape as opposed to admitting to wrong or failure. Sure. Now, on our podcast, we've talked a couple times in in passing about the whole idea of honor and shame. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's what's shaping that kind of attitude in terms of really aiming for success and harder to talk about failure? Yeah, I think success is upheld. It's expected. It's it's something that you can plan for. And if you work hard, you obtain, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't got it, well, then what happened? Did you not work hard enough? Right. Uh, Do you not have it within you to do something right? And so so the idea of being a failure and, and the shame associated with that is huge. Right. I think even in, say, parenting, there's a, a sense where that comes into play. When we first went to Japan, there was a woman who had marched three of her children onto a railroad bridge, threw them all in, and jumped in with the baby. Oh, and my word. That was because her her nursery school child uh, hadn't behaved properly, and, and she felt there, that there was a sense of shame, and so therefore she needed to do this. And and that's not as common as it used to be, but that used to be a thing where you, if your child brought shame on the family, then you were expected to kill the child and kill yourself wow. as a mother. But not as many people do that, but that is still a thing that it happens sometimes. Hmm. Now, a question I kind of wanted to ask too was, and you alluded to a little bit earlier about the differences between an older generation about what they might value in terms of like their garden and the younger generation may not have the same outlook (laughs) or same perspective. Do you feel that along the lines of honor and shame, are those things very evident in all generations or do they live it out in different ways? 
Do you notice a difference in between like older generations and younger generations in regards to how you might relate to them or talk to them? One example of how to illustrate the differences between generations would be one of the times we had church conflict and it was over shoes in an entryway. And so the older generation, what would be proper manners is when you step into the entryway of a house or in this case a church, you take off your shoes. You're expected to either take those shoes and put them in the shoe box mm-hmm. or to line them up so that they face out from the, the place that you step up. And you have them all neatly arranged there. So that the next person that comes in says, oh, people are kind of like expecting me, welcoming me because there's a place for my shoes here. I can step in and, and it's all neat and orderly. I know my place. So that's an older culture. Mm-hmm. Whereas a younger person coming into a place like that would think, oh no, I'm going to have to watch my P's and Q's. I, have, I can't relax here at all. This is going to be like really rigid. Mm, and okay. so a younger person, what they do is when they come in, they just take off their shoes and it can be scattered anywhere in the entryway. And they don't care if they have to step on top of someone else's shoes to get to the place where you step up. Because that's, you know, you just kind of relax and come in. Sure. And so for an older person coming in, it's like, oh, wow, this is a messy place. And not even considering... They're not a considerate people at all. They're not thinking about me coming in here. Right. And so it's, you know, both are Japanese. It's younger and older. Both have manners in and of their own self. It's just it's not um, a standard kind of manners anymore. Hmm, That's interesting. And so is it shameful to not put your shoes away? Well, it depends how old you are. Oh, (laughs) it's good to know. And the funny thing is, actually, you know, since this is only audio, uh, I'm actually wearing my shoes right now. <laughs> and, uh, I, I came in and, and Martin welcomed me in and we're actually at the OMF house right now. And he welcomed me and he's like, just leave your shoes on. And I'm like, oh, I'm so not used to that. I want to take my shoes off because I feel more comfortable or like, you know, like that's, that's just the way I, I was brought up. Um, and it's so interesting that you brought up that example about shoes and such like that. Yeah. Are you guys both wearing shoes too? Yes, but if they were dirty, we would have told you to take them off. <laughs> Ruth my is wife, not wearing shoes. <laughs> my wife has bare feet. I have shoes on. <laughs> you know, a number of years ago, you, you guys also had shared a little bit about a, a specific area in culture, which is the shut-in culture. Uh, is that still something that is happening in Japan? And where does that kind of stem from? Yeah, that's called kikikomori, which means that uh, they are struggling to relate to other people. It's a form of social withdrawal syndrome mm-hmm. and um it, there's very much a thing uh now as well and and i think a lot of that comes from not feeling like they can measure up to people's expectations or sometimes uh it comes from feeling that they're not really loved or a sense of of being judged and they don't want to be judged by anybody and mm-hmm. they don't want to stick their neck out and there's an example I went to actually while I was in Japan. In the city that I live in, there, there was a lecture on this issue, and they had a mom come in who uh, gave her own experience. Her daughter hasn't, she hasn't seen her daughter's face for several years, even though they live wow. in the same house. And her daughter felt very unloved and uncared for because her mother uh, was taking a special amount of time with her grandparent because her grandparent was uh, aging and not doing very well. And, and she just felt like everybody was too busy for her. She built up a lot of resentment and um, she won't even eat anything that her mother cooks. Wow. And so the mother will have to buy 
food put in the in the refrigerator and the daughter will come out when nobody else is around and take it out of the refrigerator and go back to her room. Right. But the daughter won't even show her face to her own family. Mm. But a lot of it comes from uh, just feeling like they can't measure up or anger or bitterness or, or feeling unloved. Okay. That's fascinating. You know, given all that you guys have shared about Japanese culture, the pros and the cons, or like the beautiful things and maybe the not so beautiful things, uh, how would you guys say that Japanese people respond to the gospel then? You know, what are ways in which they connect with the message of Jesus? Are there certain ways of being able to talk about who Jesus is that they would be able to gravitate more towards? We haven't found very many people that are opposed to hearing about Jesus. Mm. But what the problem would be would be that they wouldn't see that it had anything to do with them. And so our challenge is to help people to see that Jesus is alive and he is interested in them. Sure. And he wants to engage in their daily life. And if we can help them to understand that, and usually it's through some kind of problems that they're having in life, that we're able to open the Bible and show them that God actually says something about those problems. Mm-hmm. And that by following those, his guidelines, if you will, or his wisdom, that it actually is helpful in their in their situations, in their problems or in questions. Sure. And so once they see that Jesus is alive and is interacting with them, then they're much more interested in that personal relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, I definitely agree with what Martin just said. And I think that they're definitely open to talking about it and carrying on a conversation. I think sometimes it takes time and people, uh, maybe sometimes Christians aren't, careful to take the time and to sure. to talk about things not in like cliches but to just actually work through different things that you uh, come up against in your daily life and when they can see that Jesus really does um, have something solid to say about that it's really uh, encouraging for them and I've had several people um, say to me because I often study family with them, mm-hmm. they say, wow, this is amazing because um, there's so many books out there. There's so many opinions, opinions out there, but this is um, something that's really solid and it's not like wishy-washy and you can actually base uh, your life on it. And then when they, they've tried out different things and they've seen that, oh, actually this really works in their own family sure. uh, situation, which um, gives a lot of credibility to the Bible. Another thing that um, people have often said to me is by listening to me pray, they uh, discover that um, it's not like you're just um, chanting something that is unintelligible. You're actually like saying real heart things um, and personal things and with a belief that God is actually going to work in your life on your behalf. And this is something, too, that is very attractive to people. Mm -hmm. If I could just follow up a little bit with that, what do you think has led to that detachment? So they could hear about who Jesus is, but feel that, oh, this has nothing to do with me. What do you think has kind of led to that kind of perspective? In Japan, there aren't any religions that are taught to the masses, if you will, to people. Okay. If people really want to pursue religion, they could buy books, they could go to the Buddhist priest and ask him questions. But as a general rule, Buddhism and Shintoism, the two main religions, are not taught religions. And so people don't hear something, believe it, and therefore follow that belief. Mm -hmm. And so hearing something about Jesus 
is just something that, you know, it's another fact or another bit of knowledge. It's not necessarily something that would then be connected to faith. Sure. Because they don't have that process going on. Yeah. And so in order to present the gospel, we have to help people to begin to think spiritually, to begin to formulate questions in their minds, and then we can provide the answers for them. Sure. So if you're coming up with answers without people having the questions, that doesn't connect. That's wisdom right there. <laughs> and I, I think that's really fascinating as well, because in the North American context, some would argue that we came from Christian roots. Now, it might not be that way today, but you know, that there was this Christian influence, or at least, you know, going to church was part of society back in the day. And there's a sense of like, you know, what the church is and what, uh, and who Jesus is, at least from a certain perspective. But to hear that from Japan's perspective, there isn't that, right? It wasn't a nation that had that influence and was never shaped by it. That's really fascinating. I think it's really important to talk with somebody and listen, actually, instead of talking at people. And mm. I think sometimes, maybe in North America, I think it's too easy to talk at people. Right, And yeah. I think that uh, every person has their own kind of background and their own slant on things. And so I think that always, whether we're in Japan or in North America, I think you know, asking questions to just find out where somebody's at is like always should be one of our main first steps because it helps us to know what they're thinking about and then be able to introduce Jesus from that area that they're thinking about, which I think helps them to engage with it. That's the way Jesus did it. He engaged people where they're at, right? And he treated each person differently based on where their, what their circumstances were. And that's that's beautiful what you just shared. You know, just kind of to end off this episode, what can you guys share about the Japanese church and where do you believe it's headed? I think we are the generation of missionaries that laid the foundation what's going for what's going to happen this next season of of life. I think the Japanese church is poised to make great advances. Mm. Um, people are beginning to be more excited, more joy-filled about finding Jesus, and so they're more willing to share with other people. Maybe the restrictions, things that kept them back from sharing with their friends or co-workers or, or relatives, those are kind of lessening so that there aren't those barriers mm-hmm. in people. Maybe people are getting a better, bigger grasp of who Jesus is, and so they're able to, to share in a bigger way. I don't know. Yeah. But I think Japan is opening up. I think we are going to see a big turning to Jesus at least more than current. Yeah. Um, the churches, and there's kind of two genres of church, if you will, right now. There's a church that was planted, say, pre-Second World War and immediately after Second World War. And they've been faithful. They were biblical for the most part. Uh, they, people in them have been very sacrificial over the years. Mm-hmm. But they tend to be quite old now. And, and they are fairly private about their faith. And... And so the church is, is lacking energy, that, that generation of church yeah. is lacking energy and is having a hard time to pass their faith on to the next generation. Sure. So it's that type of church, if you will, type, I don't know, that genre. But then recently, in the last number of years, there's a number of people that are, that are um, excited about finding Jesus, and they're very relational. They get together and they would hang out all day doing things at the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, like eating together and playing music and doing sports and 
and there's songwriters now, and there's there's people that are really engaging in how do I live out Jesus in my workplace or in my in my family life. And so you have these the older, which has been really faithful, and you know, hats off to them for being faithful through those difficult years. And mm-hmm. The sacrifices that they made were huge for being a Christian. Um, but it's also exciting to see a church that is starting to emerge that is joy-filled and exuberant and creative. Is there anything that you believe that churches, Christians here in Canada can learn from Japanese Christians, Japanese churches? I think that they're very super loyal. I, I don't know. I think sometimes in, in North America, I think people very easily maybe change churches or like, it's kind of like a consumer right, mentality. Yeah. And I think that in Japan, that people are very dedicated and uh, maybe more willing to contribute or to um, support their church. Like, sure. for example, um, there aren't a lot of big churches. A lot of them are very small churches. But even though they're a small church, they uh, will try very hard to support their pastor. They have a pastor. And so... I think that they're sacrificial and dedicated to their church. Mm. I think the concept of being a family is very strong in Japanese churches. Mm-hmm. And so they are part of the family of faith. And we would probably adhere to that verbally in the West, but they would think nothing of missing a Sunday. Right. Whereas, you know, a family just doesn't miss a Sunday and like miss out on family gathering unless there's a huge reason for you to do so. Sure. So I think the connection that in the West to church is kind of a tenuous, weak one, uh, which is, like we said, maybe consumer-oriented, or what can I get from this? And if I'm not getting something, well then, or if it's not convenient for me, or if I need to go to the cottage, or if I have sports, or if I have, or if I have this. Mm-hmm. So many things that distract people these days. Whereas the Japanese church, if people have come to the place of placing their faith in Jesus, it's been quite a road to get there. And they really consider this this family of faith as an integral part of their life. And they don't take breaks very readily. Right. They, they're quite committed to being sacrificial in time and in finances. Sure. Thank you guys so much for listening to our episode. And thank you so much to Martin and Ruth for joining us today. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast to get this conversation out there. It really helps us to spread this podcast around. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear comments and feedback. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. And we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you later.